Hello and welcome to the turbulent world of Middle East soccer or Mid-East soccer podcast. I'm your host, James Dorsey. The United States and Iran have waged a contentious dialogue of the death for much of the past four decades. It is a dialogue that seemingly brought the two countries to the brink of war in January, following tit-for-tat attacks with potentially devastating consequences for Arab Gulf states. The tit-for-tat culminated in the killing of Iranian General Qasem Soleimani, that initially was thought to have deterred Iran. It did not. And the talking past one another heightens the risk of things getting again out of hand. Successive U.S. and Iranian governments are the culprits, even if U.S. President Barack Obama and his Iranian counterpart Hassan Rouhani attempted to change the course of history with a 2015 international agreement that curbed Iran's nuclear ambitions. The agreement failed to revise deep-seated distrust, including U.S. perceptions that Iran seeks to destabilize the Middle East and so regional mischief, and Iran's conviction that successive U.S. administrations and their regional allies seek regime change in Tehran. In a sign of the times, the global pandemic has become another Iranian-U.S. battlefield in which both sides are driven by perceptions of one another rather than a will to create opportunities to break the logjam. Perceptions have been reinforced not only by a U.S. refusal to ease harsh sanctions but also Saudi Arabia's failure to follow in the footsteps of the United Arab Emirates by shipping medical supplies to Iran and by Iran's attempt to use the pandemic to pressure Washington and secure financial aid from the International Monetary Fund. The divide is further magnified by the fact that misperceptions have filtered into the fabric of foreign policy communities of both countries that lead to policy recommendations potentially based on problematic analysis. The killing of Mr. Soleimani did everything but send a message warning Iran that it was playing with fire. It missed the point that Iranian strategy, after initially failing to pressure the Trump administration into reversing its 2018 withdrawal from the nuclear accord, is centered on playing with fire. Iran last weekend stepped up Revolutionary Guard speedboat patrols in the Gulf after the United States warned that there had been dangerous and harassing approaches. Rightly or wrongly, Iran is likely to believe that it is a strategy that may not have achieved its main goal so far, but has produced results. Iran appears to see forcing a withdrawal of U.S. troops from Iraq as achievable and will interpret the recent concentration of U.S. forces in a smaller number of Iraqi bases as a step in that direction. The U.S. says the redeployment was planned prior to President Donald Trump's assertion that Iran was planning a sneak attack against American forces. Iran last year opted for gradual escalation involving attacks on U.S. targets in Iraq as well as critical national infrastructure in the United Arab Emirates and Saudi Arabia, 
in a bid to bring the region to the brink of war. Convinced that neither the United States nor Iran wants a war, Iranian leaders hope that heightened tension will open the door to a return to the negotiating table. If that is correct, it would throw into doubt recommendations that the United States should adopt a strategy of deterrence against Iran, similar, for example, to Israel's successful bid to push Iranian and Iranian-backed forces in Syria away from the Jewish state's border. Some 200 airstrikes against 1,000 targets slowed Iran's military buildup in Syria while avoiding a broader regional conflagration that would have been damaging to Israel's interests, the Center for a New American Security said in a report released last week. The problem is that comparing Iranian policy towards the United States and Israel amounts to comparing apples and pears. Iran has no interest in pushing Israel towards a negotiation, nor does it want to risk an all-out war. In other words, Israel may find it far easier than the United States to deter Iran. Escalated U.S. attacks on Iranian targets, unlike Israeli strikes, would probably serve Iran's immediate purpose. The lay of the land is complicated, not only by the rejiggering of U.S. forces in Iraq, but also the country's internal political dynamics. The killing of Mr. Soleimani and Abu Mahdi al-Muhandis, an Iraqi commander who died alongside the Iranian general, has brought to the surface differences among pro-Iranian militias in Iraq. The two men were pivotal figures in keeping the militias in line. Some militias are demanding that they be integrated into the Iraqi military, while others want to continue operating independently, albeit in close association with the military, and yet others have forged alliances with criminal networks. All in all, little suggests that U.S.-Iranian tensions can be reduced without the political will to revisit and puncture perceptions of one another. That may be a tall order, given that the nuclear accord failed to create a real opening. Yet even without an opening, both the United States and Iran would do well to take a hard look at their perceptions in a bid to realistically assess their options. The United States and Iran are on a collision course because they hold very different interpretations of reality, said strategist and Middle East scholar Ross Harrison. The United States, which had built its doctrine around combating a global threat from the Soviet Union, found itself flat-footed in dealing with a regional phenomenon like post-revolutionary Iran. The United States can injure Iran, but it is unlikely to be able to compromise Iran's regional influence, Mr. Ross said. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. A written version of this podcast is on my blog, The Turbulent World of Middle East Soccer at MideastSoccer.blogspot.com. Please join me for my next podcast in the coming days. Best wishes and take care in these trying times.